millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Andy Crestadina, author of Content Chemistry, the illustrated handbook for content marketing. And you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on, they are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. Andy Crestadina, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. What is going on in your quarantine world? Oh, it's upside down uh, all around me. But for me, I'm in this little weird eye of the storm because uh, there's 40 of us. I'm I'm the the one who comes into the office still. I check the mail. I water the plants. So I'm a bit less disrupted than a lot of the people around me. Uh, But the good news, everyone around me is healthy, and uh, I feel very lucky that the family's all good. Oh, that's good. That's good. And uh, when did everyone clear out of the office? About two months ago? Yeah, you know, it's like the Shawshank Redemption. I have a piece of chalk and I mark on the wall the number of days it's been. Hold on, let me turn around and see. Uh, 10, 20, 30, 50. This is my 50th day today uh, alone in the office. So how many weeks is that? 50 business days. That's 10 weeks. Oh, so you've weeks. been coming in every day. I come. I work here. I don't really have a desk at home. I'm not really set up at home. Um, this is just a better setup. Bandwidth, light, mic, computer, second screen, desk, chair, the whole oh, thing. So, okay. And it's only three blocks from home, so I still come. Oh, okay. Okay, so you're not having to cast, catch mass transit or uh, anything like that. Well, that's, um, that's good. Well, mm-hmm. before we go much further, I need to make sure uh, the listeners know who you are. So you were on episode 85 You were an early supporter of the Marketing Book Podcast. I appreciate that. Today, I published episode 281. You were on back in August of 2016, and I introduced you then. So this time, I want you to introduce yourself and tell listeners who are new to the Marketing Book Podcast who you are and what you do. I am best known as the co-founder of Orbit Media, which is a web design and development firm here in Chicago. Uh, and I 
have for many years been one of those of us who does a lot of teaching. I do a lot of writing. I contribute to things. Uh, I wrote the book we just mentioned. I speak at a lot of conferences. So I'm a I'm a content strategist. Uh, the topics that I'm most often uh, invited to talk about are search optimization and analytics, content strategy, uh, influencer marketing, conversion optimization. Those are my main areas of expertise. But Orbit is mostly relevant local to Chicago, and it's a web design company. There's 40 of us, and we build 50 to 60 sites a year. And um, uh, so the focus of my career for the last 20 years has been on website planning, but I'm a teacher just like you. And if uh, those websites are anything like orbitmedia.com, they're nice websites. But before we get into that, there's a little bit more people need to know about Andy Crestadina. Okay, so I've I've met you... Uh, a couple times since I got to interview you. I met you in Boston at the Marketing Profs event and, and Content mm-hmm. Marketing World where you spoke. And boy, you know, is there a video of that talk you gave? That was about two years ago. You later did a webinar of it. That was phenomenal. And I was just thinking about that the other day. There must be. I think they have recently, uh, during COVID, I think they, they kind of went inside out like a lot of companies did and published or made public a lot of that content. So the Content Marketing Institute's YouTube channel may have the full recordings of lots of those presentations. Okay. And as you browse through, even if it looks like it's you know two years old, if it's a topic like search or analytics, it's probably all still highly relevant. Well, I would agree. And I'll see if I can find it included on your episode show notes at marketingbookcocktails.com. And that talk was phenomenal. It was completely packed in... It was a pretty big room. And then afterwards, you did it. Uh, you did a webinar for that talk. You did a webinar of that talk for, I can't recall who, um, a software mm. company maybe. And I had uh, my content director watch it, and I watched it again. It was really, really helpful. But it's like so many things that are um, on, your, on your, uh, your website. But... You also have a son who's going to Yale, right? <laughs> he has the Yale dog, which you are the most, you're just, I love you, Douglas. You got, <laughs> you, you are considerate and thoughtful and just a kind, generous person. Yes. So we talked about my boy, Eli, right after he was born. Uh, he's now four. Um, his he's probably already three. been, he's already got early acceptance to Yale. And I should explain that Eli is... Uh, well, Eli was the first name of Mr. Yale, mm-hmm. who endowed Yale, and uh, so that's the name of the dog, the mascot, uh, Eli Yale. So when you told me your son's name was Eli, that's when I said, oh, that's the Yale mascot. I don't think you knew that. So then uh, <laughs> I started saying things, and as a matter of fact, Annie Crestadina, I was up on the third floor of her house because you know now that I'm quarantined at the house, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm starting to throw stuff out and clean up. What did mm-hmm. I find? A little Yale fleece that my son had worn when he was little. He's now 25. I got to clean it first, but that's <laughs> heading your way. And even if it's a little big, he can grow into it. He, the little dog is still with him. We have it in his room. Oh, it's, good. Uh, so the listeners, here's a little word picture. It's a bulldog, a tiny stuffed animal bulldog. Well, not tiny, it's small, but, and it's wearing a, a Yale sweater. It's just charming. It's a little, it's a gray bulldog with a, it's a purple sweater, right? It, uh, adorable. So that's, uh, and then your daughter, Ada, how old is she? She's two. Two. Yep. Okay. 
Well, good. The other thing I wanted to mention that a lot of people may not uh, realize is that you studied like Asian language at University of Iowa, and then I saw that you went to you studied in China as well. Yeah, it. Uh, I was one of those sort of um, like a lack of strong direction college students. Uh, this was the early '90s, so there was no digital anything. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, when I started college, there wasn't an email. You know, no one had an email address, and computers were in a lab. Remember the computer lab? Yes, like a place, like a place you went. I can remember to using your, it. Yeah, yeah. I we, you wait in line to use the computers at the computer lab, and you mm-hmm. leave with your term paper on a floppy disk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, oh, what was that term you just used? Floppy disk. <laughs> remember, remember this? Yeah, and uh, and so I changed majors a bunch, and in the end, and um, well, somewhere during my second year. Uh, was dared by a friend to take a Mandarin class with him. We took it together. Uh, he dropped out after the first year, but I ended up doing four years of Mandarin, which gets you a degree. Uh, after that, really didn't feel that comfortable yet in, in the language, so found a program that took me to China for another semester at Peking University and uh, sort of finished learning when I was there and loved it and was quite good at Chinese at that time. Um, not long after that, I mean, and, I, and this is like 1997 now, so it was China was about to explode. I don't have regrets, you know, being you know a white guy fluent in Mandarin leaving China in 97. I'm sure life would have been interesting had I stayed, but um, I wanted to live back in Chicago. And um, uh, life in China, I think, is would be exciting, but kind of a challenge uh, in lots of other ways. So I haven't spoken Chinese. I don't regularly speak it. I can have a conversation now if someone wanted to. But, uh, but yeah, that was a degree. And Iowa, it turns out, was not a bad place to uh, to learn Chinese. Interesting. And are you still in touch with uh, any folks back in China? You know, it's really cool that the web has makes it all makes us all so close. So, yeah, there was a friend who um, just a couple of months ago. Um, well, maybe this was. Boy, time is really, I'm losing track of things aren't real. Uh, <laughs> well, and it is the cocktail hour, so we've been working all day. So, yeah, it's uh, it's that time. But he, but uh, a friend came in from out of town, a friend from China. We got together, um, and uh, talked about old times. So, yeah, there are a few people that I'm still in touch with, and it's amazing to see the directions that everyone has gone from, from that little era. Yeah, it, it always is. Well, Andy, what besides everyone leaving the office fifty something days ago? What other things changed in your world? Uh, in other words, um, I am assuming there hasn't been a whole lot of travel. That has been a real benefit, and uh, you probably have felt this too. Um, you know, conferences and speaking, client visits, sales. Uh, I have something like 15% more time now. And the question became what to do with that time. And sort of strangely, one of the anxieties is that I might be missing an opportunity or am I making the most of this strange, you know, era that we're in. Uh, So that has been a big difference. And so content strategy wise, separate from pivoting a little bit on the topics and doing some more sensitive pandemic era publishing a little bit of research on the impact of coronavirus on agencies. But what to do with this extra time? Uh, I've pushed myself uh, deeper into video and have 
began, I started producing more content in that format and I uh, have really, really enjoyed it. It's working well. Now you produce content jam in Chicago most years. And I read that that was uh, canceled or delayed. When was that going to be? Oh, Douglas, that was stressful. It was, um, these things you need to, at that scale, it's like a hundred, about 500 person event. So you have, you have to book them far in advance. Also, you want to book them far in advance because you want to try to get ticket sales to cover your costs as early as possible. It was going to be uh, September 17th. That's still the the window during which things are being canceled. I, there's a few things where I'm going to be in October where there's some optimism and, and they have not been canceled or people are crossing their fingers and hoping that uh, there will be some live events in, um, later in the year. So we didn't, we weren't confident that there would be any um, ticket sales or that the speakers would be able to come. So it was like a really stressful thing to try to negotiate out of that contract. Now you say that was going to be in, in August? Oh, no, September. Oh, September. Se- yeah, September. So just imagine this. I'll, I'll be transparent. Here are the real numbers. Uh, downtown hotel, convention center, beautiful space, AV, food, all the whole, the whole contract. $65,000 commitment that we're in for, that was going to be the loss had we canceled and just eaten it right then. So rather than just accept that, we called, we we began a process of negotiation and offered them a lower settlement amount. And they were actually highly motivated to settle because all of our contacts there were being furloughed at the end of that week. So it was a $25,000 cost to get out of the contract, which we, we consider to be a win. Mm. Um, since then... Uh, I'd love to trade notes with you on this. I've been talking to other to speakers and presenters and organizers to learn about how virtual events can be done well. Uh, what a what a modern virtual event looks like. Is there a networking component? How is the Q and A handled? Uh, what is the programming like? Um, and it's interesting. I think we're seeing a bit of innovation. And um, one of the things. Uh, that I've heard is that unlike a live event uh, where if you want to ask a question, you kind of have to raise your hand and wait for someone to bring you a microphone or God forbid, walk to the center aisle to stand in line. <laughs> yeah. Q and a is much better at virtual events because people yeah. are willing to throw out a question. So some of the most positive feedback I've seen from virtual events is when the presentation, let's say it's an hour or 45 minutes, the presenter's commit to staying until every single question is answered. Mm. So there are sessions that are like 45 minute sessions with 90 minute Q and a. Wow. You know, yesterday I was talking to uh, Nick Webb, uh, who's been a guest on the podcast a couple times. He wrote uh, the innovation mandate and what customers crave. And he's a really successful keynote speaker um, amongst other things. And he said something I hadn't heard before. He said, look, there's no such thing as a virtual keynote. <laughs> there's keynotes mm-hmm. and then there's, you know, virtual events. But don't <laughs> don't conflate the two. And what his point was, sort of what you're saying, like do something different. Use that medium for yeah. what it's uh, best suited. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot more that could be done for these types of things that we're learning and, and some other authors I've spoken to have been experimenting with. It's not... 
you know, a, a webinar doesn't have to be presenting PowerPoint slides. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. a lot more interactivity. It's faster. Uh, it's more personal. So it's it's interesting. And today on the Marketing Book Podcast, I published a, an interview with uh, Nick Morgan. And he wrote a book called Can You Hear Me? Communicating in a Virtual World. And he has this one chapter on webinars. And basically, he, he thinks there's a special place in hell for webinars. <laughs> he just hates them <laughs> because they've been so badly done. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that coming out of this, you know, thoughts like what you just said – there is a future for webinars, and people are going to realize they're going to be exposed to a lot, uh, you know, better better experiences. But it's really interesting to see what's going to happen because it seems like it's going to be a while before a large number of people are going to get together. I mean, like even five hundred people—that's that's pretty big. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to ask though: Did they offer you the notion of saying, you know, like? Um, if you come back and do it within two years, you know, we'll, we'll do a deal with you. They did. And technically when you watch how people are doing events, you'll hear that, you know, if it, none of these things are canceled, mm. they're just postponed until next year, which is their way of telegraphing to the potential attendee that they're not going away. It's their way of committing to the venues, sometimes legally that they will be back. It's their way of telling sponsors, uh, you know, please don't, abandon us, you know, don't give up your whole budget. Don't, don't, you know, forego this part of your marketing. So yeah, there is a, um, that is happening a lot. Uh, there's a lot of, of organ of, uh, events that are telling sponsors that, um, uh, no, 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 we're, we're just changing all the dates in the contract to be next year. Yes, yes, yes. You are still a sponsor of this event, uh, telling the venues we're just taking this year off. We want all this, you know, and, and it's creating a little bit of certainty, Mm-hmm. Uh, or the brands and the and the organizers and the venues, um, the economy can't really just pause itself for six months or a year. But I think that um, there is, when you look out that far, there's optimism that there will be some kind of new normal, which, in a way, you know, misses the opportunity that you were just saying. Is like, what what could be different? What could be better? Is there an opportunity here? Um, I have been to networking events that are virtual that have been quite successful and where I've made connections. Uh, weirdly, I went to, uh, a, or attended a sort of a dance party, <laughs> a Saturday night, four and a half hour zoom dance party, which would be the equivalent in the event world of like an after party. That was actually quite fun. Uh, so yeah, to, I think it's, you're missing a chance if you don't try to take this time to reimagine things and yes. look for an opportunity. Now, I haven't been invited to any dance parties, and I can't blame people for that. Um, what happens at a, a a virtual dance party? There, the the de- this was Zoom. Uh, I'm going to try to describe it. There were probably uh, ten people there, uh, ten different you know Zoom accounts. Uh, some of them were two different people in the same account. Uh, it was mostly dark. People cameras were on. It was Did a lot of people know each other. Yeah, they they clearly were mostly friends, okay. close friends, and the DJ had a hilarious like animated gift behind him of some you know party light animation, and he was just playing music videos. He was sharing his screen, playing music videos, asking for requests, and some people would get up and dance, and some people would were clearly just sitting in their bed. Some people were chatting. Uh, everyone was muted until someone got excited about something and and unmuted and shout out something to someone else. Uh, 
and everyone stayed on. It was like, you could see the number of attendees, right? It was like nine people. And three hours later, it was still nine people. <laughs> it, it was just like people hanging out. It was just people hanging out. It was actually very cool. I have to say, I was glad that I went. And I mean, if you wanted to, you could get up and boogie or most people were just sitting down most of the time. But uh, it was really fun just that they was it was just someone playing videos off of YouTube. Yeah. And also it. There's something about just that feeling of connectedness, like you're all kind of together, like you could go talk to each other or interact if you wanted to. It's like having the whole family over, you know, everybody's not always talking to each other. And <clears throat> sure, sometimes family members are arguing with one another, <laughs> but, but you're right. all there, you know, you're all there. So It was uh, not the same, but it felt <laughs> very social. It felt very social. Cool. That's interesting. Well, uh, Andy, you have put out the fifth edition of content chemistry and which I interviewed you about. And, uh, it was, that was, uh, you put that out after I interviewed you. And when my content director, Pete Humes came to work at my agency, uh, he, he it was when he was first coming to the dark side. And when I mean coming to the dark side, he had been a business journalist. He was literally working for the newspaper and then he came mm-hmm. to work at my firm. And when I say dark side, I, I mean, you know, a marketing agency. Mm-hmm. Insert Darth Vader breathing here. That was one of the very first books I had him read, and it's still uh, one of his favorites. And we've all left the office, just like your folks have done, and everything is is empty. He took his computer, and actually, we're just going to let the the lease go because um, mm. you know, because otherwise, these people will not work for me if they have to see me in the office again. No. Um, because, <laughs> but uh, that aw- that book was still sitting on his desk. So uh, tell folks about content chemistry. Uh, I, I, I loved it because it was uh, the first part was lecture. The second part was lab. Mm-hmm. And uh, as an English major, I suffered through a year of chemistry. Mm. Um, they also made us take a year of calculus. It was a very sadistic school. And uh, <laughs> This was the first time I enjoyed chemistry. Was this Yale? Did you go to Yale? No, your wife went to Yale. Did That's you, right. Went to Yale? Yeah. Yeah, no, I went to a school, uh, VMI, which has uh, got a real engineering focus, even for the mm-hmm. uh, liberal arts people that they allow there. So tell folks about this uh, content chemistry book and how how did you first come up with this idea? Well, there I once, uh, we both know Jay Bear. You know Jay? Yeah, and he, he, he endorsed it. On the uh, show. Yeah. yeah, he came oh, yeah. on and he drank tequila, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So years ago, I wrote an article for Jay's website. Something I think it was like, back then I used to try to write clever headlines. It was called Nice Blogs Finish Last. And it had a couple of simple theses in it. One of them was just that if you were more structured and had more forethought and were more organized, you could create content in a way that would eventually fit into a much larger piece. Sometimes call this big content now. In other words... Everything that you might ever write, everything that you ever will write during your career is literally your elbow, they call it, lifetime body of work, your LBOW. Oh. Yeah. And so, and if you are deliberate about it from the outset and go through the awesome intellectual exercise of outlining everything in your brain or everything you know on a subject matter, uh, area of expertise or whatever, then as you go in about your normal job for the next few years of creating content that you will eventually have produced 
the lion's share of what can then be repurposed into a big piece, such as a book. Mm -hmm. So it was that. It was to sit down and first do the outline of everything in the brain on the topic, as if visually, like I think of all the topics in the universe as organized on a giant fractal, and you can kind of zoom in and zoom out, and there's sort of you know interesting things at different depths. So this was me planning in advance how all of these things fit together. The theory and the practices in lecture and lab, search, social, and email, from content strategy through execution. I'm kind of drawing like a matrix with my hand as I talk. And then at the end of that several years, I had basically created most of what this book would be. The next step was to get up at 4.30 every day for the next three or four months and work from 4.30 to 7 to fill in the blanks and polish and, re and adapt and change the voice and the structure. And, and so it became a book. And I took it to Content Marketing World after having printed 10 copies at Kinko's and gave one to Ann Handley, one to Joe Polizzi, one to Mark Schaefer and my heroes at the time and still my heroes. Yeah, me too. Yeah, the people that brought us all together, really, in a lot of ways. As you mentioned, we met at those events. And uh, it worked well. As a lead behind in sales meetings, it led to conversations and PR and opportunities. And then it, it, when it went out of, out of date, I had to update it and update it and update it. And so now um, it's probably due again. There's a few things that should be removed, and there's quite a few things that will be added in the sixth edition. Uh, everything in there is still valid and relevant and useful. Some of it's timeless and what we, you know, what we call evergreen, like headline authoring, things like that. But yeah, it's used. I use it as a textbook when I teach. I teach a class at Northwestern every year. I teach a class for a startup university in Spain every year. A lot of teams use it as a training tool. A lot of people tell me they bought it because their boss made them. Or people tell me that they read it and they bought it for everyone in their company. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, uh, it, but it's a, it's a fun way to, uh, I mean, if you enjoy that sort of challenge, big picture, like what is the the, the Wikipedia of Douglas's brain, you know, and just, just to outline it or do a post-it notes on a wall. Yeah. That, that'll go on a thumb drive. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great. It was very ingenious. And, uh, you know, the, the periodic table of the, mm -hmm. uh, elements. And, uh, uh -huh. I can remember even after I interviewed you, there was like two other questions after we were finished recording. I said, Hey, I just got to ask one, this, this one quick question about domains or something. And you, you answered it for me. And, just today, I was interviewing a guy named David Meerman Scott, who is the godfather of the Marketing Book Podcast. He was the first guest I ever had. And he's been on now five times. And today, we were talking about the seventh edition of his book, the bestseller, New Rules of Marketing PR. And what was mm -hmm. so interesting to me each time I read it is what is he adding and what is he subtracting? And when you said that, you know, there's some things that need to be updated and, you know, edited, it's like, oh, I wonder what it is, because that's sort of like, you know, the state of content marketing or something like that. When do you think a sixth edition would be out? Well, I have a, it's in my hand now. So next to me, I keep a printed version in the front, it says Andy's copy. And the table of contents is all marked up. And just the other day, I made a note. So I have new examples and better ways of explaining things like campaign tracking using UTM parameters. Nerdy analytics thing, that section will get another paragraph or two. Uh, I have a better way of discussing the content strategy aspect of whether or not to publish news. 
I mentioned evergreen, right? Like mm-hmm. to new to news or not to news, right? The difference is between blogs that cover trends and news and those that don't. Is your blog a publication or is it a library? So that will be added. It's just deeper ways and deeper yet simpler ways to describe important things that have been refined by having, you know, another thousand conversations with clients and friends and people like yourself. Uh, there are some things that are like whole, like, like new things, like, um, my, uh, mini framework for promoting content using social media video. That's not in here at all yet. Mm-hmm. It's, it needs to go in and the, you know, how to make a one minute commercial for your content using social media, which by the way, is an amazing, is super powerful tactic. My last social media video got as much traffic as our newsletter did one social media post got as much traction as a newsletter. Um, so these, th- you know, it, it's, uh, the table of contents of this edition is, uh, just a whole bunch of, of notes about what will be refined probably later this year. Uh, the, the big cadence of our content is to do the blogger survey. Every year we get a thousand bloggers to answer questions. You're, reading, you're reading my notes here. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Tell us about the blogger survey. Yeah. That has to get done before I can do the book, but that is a several month long project to get a thousand bloggers to answer questions about how they work, promotion channels, what's effective, the length of their content, the amount of time they put into it, the promotion t- tactics they use, the formats they use. And this will be the seventh time we've done it. So I can show trends on increases and decreases in certain channels or formats or amount of time, all all these things. So that is a major research piece that we do every year that requires like a hundred hours of outreach. Mm -hmm. It's so much work, (laughs) but uh, it produces statistics that make us the primary source. It's a killer tactic. Be the primary source for a piece of data, yes. soundbite. Yeah, it works yes. great. And I feel bad that all I can do is uh, when I see that it's coming out is I can try and share it on social media. Like, everybody answer this survey. Hurry up. <laughs> so, you know, happy to play a small role there. Well, listen, uh, Andy Crestedina, if there's any chance, there are only three books so far out of almost 300 that have been on the show for a subsequent edition, if there's any chance in the world that I could interview you about the sixth edition, please let me know when we can do it. And I'd love to uh, help promote it. And, and I'd love to read the next one. And I know that the fifth edition, you had almost a hundred pages more. Is that right? Yeah. It got a lot bigger for the fifth edition. It's a, it's getting, the problem is it gets too big to fit into a regular postal envelope. I don't know. I don't want to have to use a whole box to send this to people, but it is 272 pages. It's also the illustrated handbook. So it's, so it's totally scannable. It's filled with image with screenshots and diagrams, but I'd, I'd be honored uh, to fit anywhere into your content strategy. Oh man, what please I, let me help. Now I just have to correct one thing. Cause I had 282 in my head and I looked it up on Amazon. It's 282. So don't sell yourself. Is that it? Mr. Chris. There we go. <laughs> Good enough. You're talking Sounds to a supporter right. here. Okay. Thank yeah. You. Boy, that would be great. And we could, I could, uh, we could talk about that. I would want to read it beforehand, obviously, um, because there's so many things, even um, that one, there's just one little thing on the side of one of the pages. It was the picture of the uh, 3d map. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you talked about uh, building a, a certain body of uh, 
expertise, and I, I, I'm not saying that right, but I just remember thinking I'd never seen that idea before, and I've since used it trying to help other people uh, understand what you're what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, that that is um, it's a helpful way to what do they call it? Like random to avoid random acts of content. People that just kind of do a drive by on a topic and publish one little thing and wonder why it didn't work. Yeah, uh, it's really quite uh, definitive, and obviously, it's very uh, you know graphic. It's it's illustrated, not graphic like <laughs> violent. <laughs> uh, unless maybe you had that an idea for the sixth edition. Maybe you could do an word. adult version or a video game version of it. Um, uh, I'm full of ideas that I don't have to implement. I should warn you. The explicit lyrics version, like to pull out the stops. That's a, that's a tactic, right? To drop some swear words. It's never been mine, but uh, I'm not afraid to go there. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't. I just don't think it's your brand. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's not. So I just want to ask a couple other things. I read a book that was on the show years ago called "Do Good" about you know finding purpose and profit in a company by Ann Bar Thompson, and that was the first time I learned about certified B corporations. And I was mm. so excited preparing for this conversation to see that Orbit Media Studios is also one. Tell listeners what that is. I lo- You are th- thorough in your homework. Rarely does anyone even notice that. To become a certified B corporation, you have to meet a certain level of standards uh, where you are demonstrating commitment to social and environmental responsibility, uh, sustainability, uh, transparency, equity uh, for your team, compensation across the board. There's a lot of different criteria. It's more than just like we recycle. It's a lot of little things. Right. And there's only like how many, a hundred or 200 in the state of Illinois? I don't think there's enough. Yeah. It's a, it's not, it really has not yet taken off in the way that we would like for it to. I think there's a lot of B2C brands that are looking for some kind of social uh, or like a certification. Patagonia, Ben and Jerry's, uh, there's some big B Corps, but yeah, we were the, the, I don't know, 15th or 17th in Illinois, something like that. And there's maybe a hundred now. Mm. We, uh, it's important. It matters to us. It matters a lot. And uh, just one last treat for the uh, marketing book podcast listeners, or more specifically, the authors in quarantine getting cocktails listeners. I noticed on your website that you all have these things called wine and webinar. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And there's two coming up, one in two in June. Uh, this is Was this a, a warm up for that, or <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's presently successful, right? The alcohol themed uh, conversation. It's this is actually the tenth year of Wine and Web, which was just our in house teaching event. I've been we've been doing this forever. Oh. Where open the big conference room, you know, thirty five people at most can fit it. Sells out, it sold out every year for many years. And that wasn't 35 um, of your own employees, right? No. We, uh, amazingly, I've had Ann Handley, had, when she, you know, you got to watch to see when people are in town and then invite them to come present. Oh, wow. Ann um, Handley came? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Ginny Dietrich. Uh, well, lots she of lives in Chicago, friends. but she's a big deal. Ginny's here and she's yeah. the last wine and web of the year. I have a fireside chat with her every year. So COVID era, what are we going to do? make it a webinar. Now we have like two or 300 people signing up <laughs> and we made it bi-weekly. We made it um, every other week. Can I ask you a question? When I say bi-weekly, how often does that sound like to you? Fortnightly. That's every two weeks. Yes. 
Is that what is that what you mean by biweekly? But I also have that I is what I meant. I know June 9th and June twenty third. Those kind of seemed like about two weeks apart. Yeah, it's biweekly. Uh, well, what what do some people think that means? I don't know. Every uh, twice a week. I think there's confusion. Oh, I'm not sure okay. that there's agreement on the term. And I don't think Americans use the term fortnightly anyway. I love it though. I love that you said that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we doubled up, and uh, and literally in a single virtual event we will we have had more attendance than in a year i think there were there were almost 500 on one of them more than so yeah there's opportunities in the COVID era we the reach has gone way way up for that little event interesting another author who was on the marketing group podcast louis gadima author of bullseye marketing he lives in boston and he's the currently the head of this group called the sales and marketing innovators uh, in Boston, and they always get together for breakfast, like once a month. Mm. Well, they just like you, they couldn't keep doing that, and they said, "Well, let's let's keep going until we can all get back together, uh, and let's um, do uh, some webinars." And in a rare display of poor judgment, Louis has asked me to speak there in June. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about you know f- the five ideas from 275 books that matter most. So there's a little plug for that, but it's a, you know, it's the closest thing I'm going to get to going to Boston and uh, it, it should be a lot of fun. And I think that the number of folks that are attending that are starting to, to uptick. And actually that's probably, you know, even though you're going to go back to, I think you would want to go back to wine and, and, and web, mm-hmm. uh, just like the folks in Boston might want to go back to getting together for breakfast, which is definitely, I mean, we all want to get together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still going to be a shot in the arm for both events, theirs and yours, because more people are going to learn about it and they're going to mm-hmm. like it and form an association with it. And now you're going to have to find a bigger place. Well, it's a, uh... Well, pro- well, it may always have a virtual component. So oh, it, okay. if if there's a, um, uh, you know, if we're all in a room, it'll be like, this is filmed in front of a live studio audience, but there'll be <laughs> 35 people in a room, but there'll be 250 online. Douglas, anytime you would like to teach anything to our audience, you are welcome. Oh, uh, wow, if I can thanks. book you this summer or fall to uh, present uh, to our, our group at Wine and Web, I would be thrilled to have you. Oh, well, thanks. I appreciate the invitation. Tell you what, I'll share with you what I ultimately uh, am preparing for um, the folks in Boston, and you can see if that works. Um, I will say, though, that I was just going to talk about Louis's book for 90 minutes, and he said, uh, Douglas, no, that as much as I would appreciate that, don't, don't do that. <laughs> so I was going to say, yeah, I'll show up and talk about your book for 90 minutes. But again, that's that's kind of not how uh, Andy Crestedina rolls, anyway. So yeah, let's do it. But also, I'm 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 dead serious about wanting you to come back on the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about that sixth edition. So let me know who. Let me know which of your people I need to talk to, and we'll we'll figure that out. I'll get so. right, and I'll set the alarm. I'll start. <laughs> uh, I'll. Uh, it's a four. It's a. It's a dawn pre dawn effort. And uh, it has it to is. happen after the next uh, blogging survey, which is usually in the summer. Yeah, that one. I it, it's it's tough to do all these things at the same time. You know, you got to kind of pick your battles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that strategy, as you know, you're a strategist. You have it's deciding what you don't do, what your you know prioritization. So yeah, I think that uh, we'll likely produce the um, uh, 
the survey first, and then I will get to work on the book after which there is the production piece and the printing piece. Uh, it may not be till next spring, okay? but it will happen. It will definitely, it has to happen. Um, I can't let this, uh, it's too important to us to not have uh, a current book. So, uh, but I'm honored by that invitation. Thank you. Well, your fans are calling for you. And all I can hope is that those marketing book podcast listeners in over 150 countries really start putting the pressure on Andy to hurry up. <laughs> so now you've you got a support a, group. You have a platform, 150 countries. Well, yeah, but I mean, uh, it's over, it's like, I think 157 last time I looked, which That's is a while amazing. back. Well, but there's still 190 or 200 countries. So I got some ways to go. And <laughs> your goal to be to get every single, maybe yeah. with a little outreach. Could we make that happen? Yeah. Which countries aren't on the list? Well, I, w- North Korea is not on the list, but uh, I know I know that guy listens. That's a tough nut to crack. They're using VPN. They're 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 coming in through uh, through Seoul. You know, they're probably dialing in through another network. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I know if I got Dennis Rodman, a former uh, Chicago right. Bulls player, on uh, if he could just write a book, any book. Uh, or he may have already written some books, but it's like, you know, it doesn't have to be a marketing or sales book. I'll make that exception. Mm. <laughs> Just come on. And uh, then uh, maybe we can get through to his, um, his buddy back in, uh, in North Korea. Well, listen, uh, Annie Crestadina, I really appreciate the opportunity to catch up with you. You've got to get home to uh, Mrs. Crestadina and uh, Eli and Ada. But I do appreciate you joining us here on Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. And I hope that you and your family and all the folks you work with and everybody in your world continues to stay well and optimistic. Thank you from so many people that you share so much with. Douglas, just keep doing what you're doing. You're a gem. You are one of the good ones. So I'm honored to be part of this and looking forward to more collaboration. Absolutely. Thanks, Andy.